0: In the dead quiet, one voice said to the other voice, are you ready? Though the other voice did not reply, both voices knew they had come too far to turn back now. Streetlights glimmering through the windows cast larger than life shadows along the wall as the two voices tiptoed to their final destination. One of the voices hesitated. Nothing quite prepares you for the sudden, ethereal stillness that comes before doing something that cannot be undone, but as the hinges of the cracked, white wooden door creaked open, they did what they came to do. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Murder on Michigan Avenue, Episode 1, Caught Red-Handed. On the night of Tuesday, October 13th, in an old, renovated office building, sandwiched between skyscrapers on Jackson Boulevard in downtown Chicago, there were more people in Patterson's pottery studio than there should have been. Of course, the owner of the pottery studio, Pam Patterson, had no idea anything unusual was afoot. As far as she knew on that brilliantly clear, starry-skied autumn evening, she'd close down the gift shop in the front of the studio, clean up from the class she taught earlier that evening, lock the door to the collection of 16th-century European ceramics in the back room, go about her typical nightly routine in the stately second-floor apartment above the studio, and wake up the next morning prepared to do it all over again. But someone in the pottery shop that night knew something she didn't. Someone, perhaps even someone Pam had seen earlier that day, knew that this would be Pam the Potter's last night alive. But who could have concealed their knowledge of this sinister plot? Who had Pam encountered in the last 24 hours, who could have intervened and possibly prevented her untimely demise? Well, fortunately for us, we need look no further than the four-person class she taught at 8 p.m. every Tuesday, the most coveted time slot among Pam's eclectic group of students from all corners of the greater Chicago region, reserved for her most promising pupils, the Patterson Pottery Prodigies, as they came to be known. Let's take a peek in that final, fateful Tuesday night class only hours before Pam's passing and ask ourselves, which one of them is hiding something. Sure, they all had their secrets, their own private individual lives, but one of the curious consequences of pottery, or murder for that matter, is how it brings people from all walks of life together. First, we have one of Pam's newest and most ambitious students, Charlotte Nancy Carolina, whose Appalachian upbringing resulted in an unshakable southern drawl, and whose crinkled, curly mess of carrot-colored hair frequently shot elastic scrunchies around the studio at unpredictable intervals. She was a small person, with an even smaller tolerance for big city bullshit, and her miniature frame was accentuated by the signature oversized whitewashed denim overalls she wore to each class, and the ever-expanding constellation of freckles that seemed to have taken the rest of her face hostage. "'The name's Charlotte Nancy,' she had explained to Pam on her first day in the studio. "'Of course, on my taxes, it says Charlotte Middle Initial and Carolina. "'And for the longest time, I wondered where all my mail was going. "'Well, turns out there's this lady down in Charlotte who's getting it. "'I said to her, I said, "'Hey, you want to make my mortgage payments? Go ahead. "'But about the time you charge cash and checks, "'we're going to have ourselves a real pickle.' "'Pam had stared past her in silence.' To Charlotte's left in the studio during those enviable Tuesday night classes sat Christopher Pepper, distinguished professor and chair of the University of Chicago Department of English. Rumors had circulated among his undergraduate students that he and his wife Jennifer were in the midst of a bitter divorce and battle for custody of their two kids. Judging by Professor Pepper's protruding beer belly and the bags under his spectacled eyes from staying up till the wee hours of the morning watching YouTube clips of real time with Bill Maher, they were probably right. You see, the problem with Millennials and Gen Z is that they've been coddled and overprotected during the critical period of social development in early childhood. He had lectured extemporaneously to the group on the night Pam Patterson perished. Back in my day, we didn't have safe spaces. We played outdoors, we ate cereal with real sugar, and we'd hop in a car with any stranger who offered, so long as they had candy. Across the table from Christopher Pepper and Pam's studio sat Carol Higgins, a widow and doting grandmother of five grandchildren who looked like they'd been copied and pasted from the Von Trapp family in The Sound of Music. Having recently inherited a family sized fortune from her dead parents' now-defunct publishing company, Carol always seemed to be in a bright, sprightly and spirited mood. You know, the other day I got caught in traffic on the Dan Ryan on my way to my grandson Max's soccer game. She had informed the rest of the class upon arriving to the studio ten minutes late. And I said to myself, I said, Carol, for God's sakes, he's going to be graduated by the time you get there. And finally, we have CJ. High school dropout turned Twitch streamer turned certified social media influencer, CJ had amassed over 800,000 followers on TikTok after posting a series of 30-second videos in which he and his friends catfished insurrectionists on FarmersOnly.com.
1: My roommate's cat, Mr. Mew Mew, chewed through my asthma inhaler, so now I just have to carry a sandwich bag full of air with me wherever I go.
0: CJ had mentioned that night when Pam had asked why he looked like he'd gotten hip implants.
1: But I had the last laugh when Mr. Mew Mew ate my roommate's ED medication and got kicked out of his last cat playdate.
0: And there you have it. Pam's prized potters, the famous four, each having the dubious distinction of being one of only four people who were with Pam the night of her murder. We don't know much about what happened after pottery class let out that night. The famous four quickly departed when class ended at 9.30, as was their routine, but one of them had stayed behind to ask Pam about something that had been eating at him. Do you have it? It's going to take two of us to lift it, Christopher Pepper had whispered to Pam as she circled about the studio. Hold on, I haven't been able to find my phone all day. You want it now? She'd asked hesitantly. Professor Pepper cleared his throat. Well, now is as good a time as it. He stopped midway through the sentence. Perhaps it was simply the uncanny flicker of one of the streetlights outside the front bay window of the shop, but something made him reconsider his decision. "'You know what? I, uh, uh, I'll see you next week.' And with that, the door to the pottery shop slammed authoritatively behind him as he departed for the night. "'What had Christopher Pepper just seen that she hadn't?' Pam pondered, now alone in the studio. As it turned out, a better question to ask would have been who? The only functioning security cameras in the entire Patterson studio were in a dark locked room at the back of the building filled to the brim with a collection of invaluable European ceramics that Pam referred to as the archives. Police reports filed the next day painted a disturbingly incomplete picture. Pam had been found dead in the studio at 3.47 a.m. after an anonymous caller had left a cryptic message in the police station voicemail system notifying them of her whereabouts. Though a full autopsy was underway, police had discovered the deceased Potter with a hideous gash and oozing purplish black bruise across her forehead that appeared to have been inflicted with blunt force trauma. Because the security cameras Pam had so diligently installed were reduced to a crumpled pile of plastic and aluminum shards on the floor, the only additional piece of evidence the police took note of was a singular broken vase with a beautiful yellow floral pattern that lay outside the door to the archives. The detective at the scene, a longtime volunteer at the Chicago Art Institute, estimated that it may have been worth up to $150,000. Two days later, we find the famous four at a vintage Chicago hot dog joint across the street from Patterson's Pottery Shop, which now sports a maze of neon police tape jutting out onto Jackson Boulevard. It's a cold and dreary October afternoon, even by Midwestern standards, and the atmosphere seems to have taken a toll on the crotchety diner patrons awaiting their meat and cheese monstrosities. It's also been 36 hours since Pam's body was discovered, a fact that sits at the forefront of each member of the famous four's minds as they take their seats at the nearest table.
1: I hope you folks don't mind. I just whipped up some banana bread for my grandson Jack's basketball pals, but one of them chipped a tooth on it, so I thought I'd pack some to share.
0: Carol announced as she started removing scorched loaves of what may have once been banana bread from her overflowing purse. "'I accidentally used ash in a bag from my charcoal grill instead of flour, so it's a little dense.' "'Carol, I don't think you're allowed to bring your own food to restaurants,' Charlotte Nancy said, making awkward eye contact with the waiter approaching their table. "'Good God, Carol!' Christopher Pepper exclaimed. "'Who in their right mind told you to start baking? That'd be like telling C.J. over here to be a newscaster!'
1: "'Can it, Dr. Pepper!'
0: C.J. squealed in defiance. "'Oh, come on, you could kick a football through those front teeth!' "'All right, that's enough. Now, C.J.' Charlotte said delicately. Would you mind telling us why you asked us to meet here?
1: Yeah, I hope you know I'm missing my women over 75 taekwondo class for this. Carol sighed as she
0: attempted in vain to cut the blackened banana bread with her steak knife.
1: There's something I've got to show you.
0: CJ whispered mysteriously, slowly sliding a laptop out from his backpack.
1: Pam always left her email inbox open in the studio so I was able to use her credentials to hack into security cam footage from
0: he paused for dramatic effect the
1: archives oh for heaven's sakes
0: Carol gasped
1: get this
0: C.J. said excitedly, turning his computer to face the group.
1: So she walks in there at 11.04 p.m. Tuesday night, and then at 11.06, watch what happens.
0: Morbid curiosity overcame the group as they huddled anxiously around the laptop. On the screen, the blurry outline of a figure they assumed to be Pam opened the door to a small, dark room as a peculiar beeping noise emanated from the computer. That must have been the security alarm to the archives. Pam probably went to investigate. (gasps) It was a trap, Christopher Pepper said to himself aloud, astounded by his own brilliant detective work. On the screen, Pam carefully navigated the labyrinth of shelves featuring what the group imagined were priceless ceramic artifacts and appeared to be examining something that had fallen onto the floor. Perhaps it was a bowl, or maybe a vase... Then, without warning, the door to the archives burst open behind her. Oh, my God, Charlotte Nancy breathed as a hooded figure in a black ski mask on the screen marched into the room and placed their hand, which was concealed in a glamorous red leather glove over the lens of the security camera. The screen became a dazzling ruby-red hue, then filled with static and went black.
1: So whoever it was in the ski mask and gloves,
0: CJ began, "'Killed Pam Patterson,' Christopher Pepper finished. "'Well, C.J., I know I'm not one to gush, but good work getting... "'Oh!' "'The professor lost his train of thought "'as one of the elastic hairbands from the tightly-wound ponytail "'on Charlotte Nancy's head shot across the room "'and nearly broke the left lens of his eyeglasses. "'Sorry, doctor, these little devils have a mind of
1: their own, let me tell you!'
0: "'Charlotte giggled as her face turned the same shade of hot pink "'as the scrunchie she'd just launched across the table.'
1: they think you better look at something,
0: Carol began in a voice that sounded uncharacteristically tense. Across the diner, a woman who bore a striking resemblance to Pam sat alone at the bar, looking anything but grief-stricken. That's Pam's little sister, isn't it? She came to visit the studio last spring. Charlotte spoke quietly.
1: I heard they're twins,
0: CJ said with the enthusiasm of a toddler. Right, but look, Carol continued. Though the famous four had to strain their eyes to see clearly across the diner in a discreet fashion, one by one, they each felt the familiar flutter of fear tickle their spine, for as Pam's supposed sister lifted the cocktail glass to her lips, she was careful not to let any of the gin or dry vermouth splatter onto her unmistakable red leather gloves."